it never occurred to me that I wouldn't do this for a living. So when you got that lack of doubt toward any endeavor, um, I think that's a major plus for you because you're just not going to give up at the first time somebody says, you know, you stink. So um, that would be my takeaway on that, that I I was doing it. I was trying to overcome. Life is an endless stream of challenges, but no worries. Manoj is bringing the world's best minds right here for you. Thank you, universe. Manoj, thank you. I'm so grateful. Makes me feel a little bit better. Thank you. Bootstrapping Your Dreams is here to give you what you need to succeed. Hello and welcome to this new episode of Bootstrapping Your Dreams show. I'm your host, Manoj Agarwal. And today we'll be having a very interesting conversation with Bob Raffin. Uh, Bob, as an eight-time sportscaster of the year in Virginia and Georgia, he has nine he has nine Emmy Award uh, awards to his name. He's the TV voice of the Atlanta Hawks and professional motivational speaker. He's also the author of Fast Forward Winner. Bob teaches the lessons of competition and success gleaned from the broadcast booth. His audience is informed and inspired with stories of leadership, personal growth, teamwork from one of America's top play-by-play television broadcasters. From students to large corporations, Bob reaches both hearts and heads with high energy, high content presentation. He's an expert in media, television, radio, college sports, professional sports, leadership, team building, personal growth. Bob is also the longest tenured TV play-by-play man in the franchise's history. He has earned a variety of significant broadcasting awards and 10 Southeast Regional Emmy Awards. In 2012, he earned Georgia Sportscaster of the Year honors from the National Sports Sportscasters and Sports Writers Association um, (NSSA). More recently, he received the Positivity in Broadcasting Award in June 2017 from Positive Athlete Georgia. He's currently partnered with Dominic Wilkins, a nine-time NBA All-Star and player for the Hawks. In addition, Bob also serves as play-by-play announcer for Southeastern Conference <laughs> football games on FSN. South and Atlantic Coast Conference, college basketball games for Raycom Sports. His basketball experience includes play-by-play gigs with Tidewater Tides and Richmond Braves. His fast-forward winner program and podcast are designed to help people achieve personal and professional success, live their best life, and take them on a journey to start to finish, from start to finish, on accomplishing their dreams, be they are large or small. Welcome, Bob. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for that nice introduction. I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm honored that you have done so well. Um, so let me get uh, started with that, uh, you know, getting uh, to know you a little bit. Um, you've had such a tremendous career um, and and a, and a very long career. How did you get started in this, uh, in this uh, arena? Well, it was... Uh... Good fortune smiled my on me when I was very young. I was 12 years old growing up in a small town in North Carolina and was always interested in radio and sports, listened intently uh, as long as far back as I can remember. Mm-hmm. And one day decided to call the radio station and tell the announcer on duty just how much I enjoyed the station and the sports. And he said, well, uh, come on down. We'll give you a tour. And uh, that began for me in every Sunday ritual where I hung out at the radio station. Oh, wow. And not long after that, the sportscaster of the station showed up and 
Uh, he said, well, if you love sports and love radio, help us broadcast these baseball games. And so uh, I would help uh, keep stats. I was a 12-year-old kid. And uh, one game I got to broadcast a half an inning, the bottom of the seventh inning of a game. And uh, that's what started it for me. At 12 uh, years old? When I was 12, yeah, I got wow. to do that a half an inning of a game. And, oh, nice. and that's what started it. And I've been with it really – Ever since, uh, I wasn't back on the air, of course, for a long time, but uh, I worked at the station uh, from the time I was 16 and had my driver's license. I was out covering games for the radio station and the newspaper. And by the time I was a sophomore in college, uh, the sports guy left and they asked me if I wanted to do it. And I said, of course. And so I worked full time. I went to school full time. And that's that's how I got started. Very atypical from a lot of people, but uh, very grateful. That's amazing. That's amazing. Now, uh, I have to ask, uh, you know, you have been uh, uh, doing this for a number of sports, like uh, you said, baseball and NBA and all that. So um, how much of an expert do you have to be in a particular sport uh, to be that good as you are? I mean, you, you can broadcast and you can do play-by-play -play for many sports, seems like. Yeah, you know, when you're just starting off, I think, um, and you're starting off small, you're not specialized. So you become a jack of all trades. You learn how to do football, basketball, baseball, hockey, maybe, uh, softball. I mean, anything that they throw your way because you just want to get experience in doing it. And a lot of times when you're at a small market station, uh, maybe uh, just a town with just one radio station, yeah. uh, they cover everything that goes on in the town. So you've got to do a little bit of everything. Uh, so I thought that, I think that's a, a big reason why I got to do so many sports is because I did them all uh, at a very young age. And they all take a little bit different discipline. Mm -hmm. uh, you get more specialized, I think, as you get older. Uh, you might find that you're better at one sport uh, than another, and that might lead you one way or the other. Mm -hmm. But I think starting off, you tend to do them all, and that gives you a chance to do them all later on when more opportunities come your way. Yeah, yeah. So um, do you also play these sports like you know I'm, I'm 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 sure there are some technical things that you got to know and you know um you you have to understand the game at a, at a deeper level to be able to comment on that so how do you um how do you prepare yourself like do you do you indulge in playing these sports and and, and getting that first hand experience i think for the play by play announcer playing the sport is not that is not necessary uh, my athletic career peaked when i was 12 uh, <laughs> yeah. in League Baseball, uh, but I've been doing this ever since. Now, if you're an analyst, I think um, that's a different story. I think you're, ah. the playing of the game or the coaching of the game will lead you to uh, better expertise than having never played it. You don't have to have played to be an analyst, but that's sort of the way the business has gone uh, over the last you know, 20 years or so, but, um, to do play by play, it's not necessary that you have done the game, but it is important that you know what you're talking about. Yeah. And yeah. so I think you have to work to build up your, your basis of knowledge, um, about how the game is played, because if you don't know that, then, um, I think your audience will, will know right away that this guy really doesn't know what he's talking about. The uh -huh. expressions that you use, 
the strategy involved, the rules of the game. If you don't know that, then I think they'll find out pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, uh, you know, you have such a deep voice, uh, such a, you know, um, a very uh, attractive voice, but you started at 12. So how did you train yourself? Like, did you do anything special to maintain that voice or develop that voice? Um, even when, you know, you're sort of, sort of when, when you're young, like, you know, the voice is like really childlike. So yeah. what oh, was yeah. that uh, experience like for you? Yeah, I thank you for the compliment. I, uh, it, I always chuckle when I'm asked to tell this story because when I did that half an inning of a game yeah. uh, at age 12, uh, our news director at the radio station called around to uh, the local police department and the female police dispatcher who gave him the information about, you know, wrecks and stuff that happened overnight. She said, Warner, did you listen to the Legion game on radio last night? And Warner said, yes, I did. Well, who was that little girl Marty had on <laughs> after the game? So I've always been a little self-conscious about my voice. And it really wasn't until uh, I was in my mid-20s that I felt confident uh, with the speaking voice. And one of the great things that happened to me is I went to college at, in my hometown, Catawba College. And I was a speech major and the head of the department, Dr. Carl Hales was kind enough to kind of take me under his wing. He said, you know, we don't get many guys like you, you know what you want to do. So let's just cut to the chase and get you on track to uh, do the things that you need to do to be a professional broadcaster uh -huh. and working on speech and voice and diction and all those things uh, were part of my college uh, experience, which I, I think when you, really consider what college should be. That's kind of it, right? Absolutely. You know, absolutely. you pick a profession and then you, you structure your education around that. Yeah. Um, so many people declare a major and work and then try to find a job in it. You know, I yeah. was the other way. Yeah. Uh, I knew what I wanted to do. So I had the educational background uh, to, to do that. And Catawba was great to me because I did a lot of things that I was already doing professionally. I got course credit for it. Um, you know, I would go broadcast a high school football game and record it. Mm -hmm. And then Carl would listen back to it. And that was an independent study for me. And we'd listen to it and he'd say, that stunk. That wasn't very good. That was pretty good. You're getting better there. And then I would go back out the next Friday night and do it again. Now I would do the game anyway, yeah, because yeah. that was my job, yeah. but it was also a college course for me. So that I think really ramped up, um, my ability to do this well yeah, back yeah. then. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you want to keep getting better the longer you stay in it. But uh, that really uh, was uh, very helpful to me. Wow. Okay. Now, uh, you know, another question here is that, you know, obviously, as you as you learn these things, you have to uh, take a lot of negative feedback. As, as you pointed out, you know, somebody uh, commented on your girly voice or somebody said, it's not good. A lot of people fold under that criticism. They, they basically, you know, retrieve into a shell and say, oh, you know, this is not for me. I can't do it. Um, how did you maintain your confidence? How did you find that courage to keep going in, in, in face of that kind of criticism? Oh, great question. I, I think the big thing was, you know, I was in my hometown, uh -huh. so I was accepted um, uh, right from the start. I see, I see. Um, so I didn't have to worry about you know, losing my job because yeah, of my yeah. voice and everybody knew me and I knew everybody. So, I mean, we're talking about a little teeny tiny town. Yeah. Uh, so I had that advantage. 
But I think the big thing is uh, for a young broadcaster just starting off and you're getting criticism about your voice, well, there are things that you can do. See, I, I knew that I had to improve. So I became a speech major. Mm-hmm. And Carl, you know, would tell me what I needed to do. And I could hear it in the tapes. You know, he would point out, he said, well, you know, your pitch was too high and there was no resonance here. And you spoke too quickly here, you know, paint a better word picture there. So I got all that, you know, and once you're out of school, whether it's high school or college and you decide you want to do this, then that's stuff you got to pay for. Yeah. But I did it as an undergraduate. I mean, I still had to pay for it, you know, my college expenses, but still uh, it was very valuable training. And so that kind of shifted me onto the track of blowing through any uh, thing in my mind that I couldn't do it. Yeah, you know, I, feel it. I just, it never, it never occurred to me that I wouldn't do this for a living. Yeah. So when you got that lack of doubt toward any endeavor, um, I think that's a major plus for you because you're yeah, just yeah. not going to give up at the first time somebody says, you know, you stink. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, that would be my takeaway on that, that I, w- I was doing it. I was yeah. trying to overcome. And then, you know, a lot of times in life, the barriers that we construct for ourselves uh, stop us much more than any criticism from the outside. For sure. uh, and once I got my first big job, when I left my hometown, I went to work in Norfolk, Virginia. And my first year away, I recorded the football game that I did so I could listen back to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I listened to it. I got home. It was a Saturday night. And I listened to it. And I said, that's not bad. Mm-hmm. That's not bad. Mm-hmm. And so I I kind of knew right then that I was sort of on the track. But I was still intimidated by the great voices. We were in a radio station uh, and a TV station in the same building uh, in Norfolk, Virginia. And I was working with, you know, really, really talented guys. And, um, so there's a little intimidation factor, but you know, you, you, you stick with it, you hang in there and, uh, you keep doing it over and over and over. And I was lucky that I had a voice that wasn't, uh, that didn't turn people off. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't what I wanted it to be. My voice is much better now after doing it for 40 years. But, um, back then, you know, I, I was just so happy to be in that building with those people, men and women that were just great broadcasters and they were mentors to me as well. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, that that's awesome. And thanks for sharing that. But I think uh, one deep point that you touched upon was that there was no doubt, doubt in your mind. I know. And I don't know where that came from. Yeah. Um, I, a couple of things happened. One, I, I was in that little radio station which was a great little radio station. We turned out four major league announcers out of this little tiny station, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, one's in the baseball hall of fame, you know, another guy does NASCAR racing and has for, you know, 40 years, another guy passed away now, but, uh, he did major college basketball and baseball and all this stuff. And all of us were there at the same time. You know, I was a kid, you know, uh, the other two announcers were, just starting really in their careers. But there's something else happened in in the town that helped banish the doubt. And that was, as you mentioned in the introduction, the national sportscasters and sports association is headquarter was headquartered in my hometown. Oh, wow. So when I was 16 and they had an annual award ceremony where they brought in all the state winners and the national winners, 
So when I was 16, I was, quote unquote, put on the transportation committee, which was <laughs> nothing more than take the rental car and go to Charlotte Airport, pick these guys up and bring them back to Salisbury, yeah, about yeah. a 45 minute drive. Uh -huh. But in the back seat of my car, you know, I had the greats, the legends of the industry. And they were, you know, normal guys, you know, and ladies, and they were so helpful, uh, so encouraging um, that helped banish the doubt. Like, you know, they made it. Why can't I? Yeah. So I never really had that. This is unattainable or yeah, they're yeah. so good and I'm not. And I never had that. I, it, they felt like um, they felt like they were bringing me into the club. Yeah. You know, yeah. you know, and I was serving an apprenticeship, but I would just naturally be the next guy. So I, I think that was a, a big part of it. I, I know that that is so atypical and it's yeah. not the it's normal. Unbelievable. Like, you know, turning out four, four, yeah. Four yeah. people. Yeah. So, like that, that so I'm, I'll be forever grateful for that. And, and yeah. I try to return that, yeah. you know, I try to pay it forward. I, I talk to, all kinds of young broadcasters and give them the encouragement uh, that I got when I was their age to, to do this. You are listening to Bootstrapping Your Dream Show with Manu Jagarwal. Businesses face numerous challenges like finding the right product market fit, determining the market size, implementing a winning go-to-market strategy, crafting customer-centric USP, competitive analysis, looking for funding, building up cash flow and profitability. We have made a lot of free resources available to the entrepreneurial community, including this podcast. This podcast. We invite you to check out our websites and follow us on social channels. The links are in the show notes. We hope you find the resources useful and utilize them to grow your business. Grow your business. We also have some programs for entrepreneurs. If you find our content useful, then you will definitely find the programs outstanding so do check them out you rightly observe that a lot of people put the limits on their own self um, mm -hmm. given the circumstances so, the, so that's uh, that's great now uh, you know having voices is great but doing this for as long as you have done and such an amazing job and so much success how do you connect with the audience? Like, you know, how do you actually get into their hearts and, and minds and, and sort of inspire them with, uh, with uh, you know, your commentary with, with, with how, you, how you describe what is happening live? Well, I think if there's one advantage we have in sports is that the people that we're broadcasting to are fans. Mm -hmm. And when you do a team's games rather than just sort of a national game, um, they care passionately about your team. And if you're their announcer, well, you're their guy yeah. and you're, they're relying on you to tell them about their favorite team. Yeah. So there's just a connection uh, that you automatically have. Now, if I was doing a national game, you know, and I just parachuted in, uh, I would not be a fan of your team. Mm. I would just be there to call the game. Yeah. So you don't have that connection. Yeah, yeah, with the audience like you would normally have. Mm -hmm. um, I think one of the one of the big things is to realize that you are that conduit. You know, the fans watching want to be where you are. They want to be sitting at the game, on the court. 
They want to travel with the team. They want to be in the locker room. They want to get to know the guys, all of that. And they'll never do that. 99% of the audience will never have that opportunity. So I'm sort of their guy, you know, Um, I want to go into the locker room and talk to our players and our coaches and, and tell their stories and give the fans the things that they want to hear. And I think that builds that heart connection, you know, um, it's a very emotional connection. You, you live and die with the wins and losses as any fan would do. And it just cements that, um, that relationship that you have with the fans, because I've been, this is my 25th year doing the Hawks. So I've got people now that are second generation that have been listening to me since they were five years old, you know, and, and now they're grown adults and they've got their own kids. So, uh, there's a lot of people in my audience that have never heard a Hawks game broadcast by anybody else, but me. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, it's it's a big responsibility, but also makes it a lot of fun too. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Now, that's really interesting how you how you projected it and how you sort of you know take it upon yourself to let the audience live vicariously through you mm-hmm. and and sort of get that uh, behind the scenes experience. But um, you know, when you started, radio is a one way communication. Um, so how did you get that feedback? I mean, these days it's easier, like you know. You, you, you can get that feedback through the internet, through the emails and things like that. But I'm sure that was not the case when you started. Like was, I mean, can you describe to me, how did you figure out what is working, how, what people like and without that constant feedback coming from the audience? Yeah. Well, back then, um, and I believe it was a blessing. <laughs> there was no internet. There was no social media. Thank God. <laughs> and cause starting off, you know, what you would have to do is just record your games uh-huh. and let somebody listen to it. So they'd have to take uh-huh. the time I to I critique, I you know, what you did. Um, it's so different today yeah, yeah. than it was back then. So you really had to make an effort and somebody had to really be uh, a caring soul yeah, yeah. to, you know, give you pretty good feedback on, yeah. on what your broadcast was. You would get also feedback when you applied for other jobs. Yeah, I see. Um, yeah. You know, you'd send the program director of the radio station, your tape, and there'd be a hundred other tapes sitting on the desk. Yeah. So you're hoping that yours stands out, but that was basically all the feedback that you got other than your friends or, you know, if you said something out of line, they're calling the station and complaining, but it's it's so different today when you've got the immediacy of the internet and social media. They'll let you know right away. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, right away. You know, but you you gotta you gotta treat those imposters both the same. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the good and the bad, uh, because neither really should affect you. You know, for sure, for you sure. know, to be independent of the of the good opinion of others is quite a task yeah, yeah. because it's easy to be independent of the bad opinion of others, <laughs> yeah. you know, but it's not so easy to be independent of the good opinion of others. And that's something you have to work on because you can get a little carried away when people are, you know, slapping you on the back and telling you how great you are. Um, you're only really as good as your last broadcast in this business because everything these days is recorded Everything is readily accessible. You slip up and social media is there to pounce. Yeah. So you really got to be on your toes. Yeah. And, sure, uh, sure. but it is, it is so different uh, today than it was back then. I'm yeah, glad I grew up when I did. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, you know, every every generation has their own sort of uh, challenges and pros and cons. So, so, but but yeah, I mean, I find it fascinating because um, I grew up in the digital age, and as you as you as you said, like you get immediate feedback, you know, whether it's worked or not, and and yeah. uh, and tons of it, you know, and and most people on the internet are not very kind, so it's it's no. really challenging. Um, but, I have a cure for that, I think. Oh yeah, please please do share. You have to have identification to get an account. Ah. You cannot post anything anonymously. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that would end 95% of this nonsense. Yeah. When yeah. you got to put your name to something, yeah. makes it a little different. Yeah, yeah, that's you know? Now, that's so there's going to be there's going to be some that, you know, there's going to let it rip no matter what. Yeah. But when you got to put your name on something like that, yeah. When you're, you know, just eviscerating someone on on Twitter or Instagram or something like that. Make okay, now I know where you are. You know, who you are. Makes a difference. Yeah. Well, let's see what happens. I mean, internet is still evolving. I think it's it's in its uh, infancy. So let's see what happens. Um now let's talk about your work behind the scenes because from uh, a broadcaster, you know, you you went into motivational speaking, team building, leadership. Uh, how did that come about? I'm sure you know you obviously gained a lot, a uh, lot of wisdom as you uh, described. You know, working with all these great people and yourself getting all that success. But what turned your attention towards you know actually doing something about it? You know, starting the podcast, writing a book, and you know all these things that you're doing uh, outside of uh, broadcasting. Two things happened. Number one, I was always a big fan of speakers. Uh, I was very much into uh, motivational tapes, uh, back then cassettes, uh, business, uh, some of the master motivators, and I would listen to their tapes and really got hooked on. Boy, that that really is a great delivery. Mm -hmm. So I was a big fan of the Jim Rohns and Wayne Dyers and Brian Tracy's and all these greats, the Mm -hmm. John Maxwell's, et cetera, that would come along. The other thing that happened was, as a sportscaster, I think many of us are asked to MC events, the award oh, ceremony, yeah. you know, the all that. And I would MC these, and I would hear keynote after keynote after keynote, and I would say, well, you know, that's something I think I'd like to try. So I try to marry the two. Mm-hmm. And then one day, the Hawks had a series of uh, uh, programs that we would stage once every couple of months for our season ticket holders. And one month we brought in the great John Maxwell to speak. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with John, Mm -hmm. but he is uh, one of the leading uh, writers and speakers in business motivation uh, that there has ever been. I mean, Mm -hmm. he writes a book every five minutes. I mean, the guy is so prolific. He's so great. And he lives here. Mm -hmm. I see. So he comes in and I introduce him. Mm-hmm. Well, that was like, I couldn't hardly get the words out. I was so excited. I yeah. mean, I'm introducing somebody that like is a mentor to me and he, we'd never met. So the guy who brought him down was a gentleman named Ken Coleman who organized his speakers bureau. And I told him the whole story about my interest in it. And he said, well, let's get together and talk. And that led me to first being the voice of John's monthly um, mentoring 
program. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So I would introduce him each month on his cassettes wow. and his, his tapes and stuff. And then he formed a speaker's bureau where we would take John's teachings and go out uh, into the marketplace. Uh, what would happen is uh, the companies would call and they'd ask for John and John would tell them what he charges and then they would say, well, do you have anybody else? It's a little cheaper. <laughs> that's where I would come in. And we, there were about seven of us that would go out and speak uh, when John had a conflict. So we would we would take his stuff. And you can't see it behind me, but I have the entire John Maxwell collection of all of his books and all of his tapes uh, that I used uh, for reference back then. So that's how I got into the speaking end of it. And then from there... Uh, got involved with the National Speakers Association and how to build, because I found out very early that speaking is one thing, the business of speaking is something else. Yeah. And you've got to know both to get booked and stay booked and what to yeah. charge and how that, and then the platform skills is something else that you got to work on. So that's how I got started in the speaking business. Amazing, amazing. And so um, how does the Fast Forward Winner program work? I, I, I'm assuming that's part of, uh, what we what you were just talking about? How does that yeah. work? Well, it, again, it was the the answer to the questions that I would get along the trail. I see. You know, so many times I would be asked at a high school, uh, college job fair, or speaking to the journalism class, or speaking to the broadcasters, and they would say, you know, we want to be just like you. We want to do play by play and be on TV and blah, blah, blah. How did you get started? How do you do this and all that? And I said, yeah, I need to write something down because I get this question a million times. And the fast forward winner was an outgrowth of that. I see. I see. And I tried to meet the students halfway. It's basically for young adults, but it really is for anybody transitioning in a job, whether it's a veteran uh, you name it. It's, it's really for anybody. It's a six-step process. But basically, it was my story getting started. Got it, got it. And what I try to relay and impart on the students is it's in these six steps, there are three that are inward and three that are outward. The inward ones are the retrospective. You've got to take a look inside your soul and say, what is it I want to do? What do I, what am I good at? And what do I think I might get paid for maybe one day? And it could be a hobby. It doesn't have to be a job. And then privately, you put this together. And I emphasize that because the feedback I was getting from so many students and young people was, well, you know, I wanted to be a singer. I wanted to be a dancer. I wanted to do this, da 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 da. But when I told my family, <laughs> I shot it down. What? Yeah. Who are you kidding? You can't sing. You can't do that. Yeah. I said, well, let me address that. So do those three things first of awareness and what you're good at and, and, you know, get tested or, you know, take it to someone, whatever, before you tell the world yeah. what it is you want to do. But after you tell the world, then you've got to tweak it and adjust and get better. That's the feedback part. Yeah, exactly. Right? So it's a six step process to come out at the other end with something that is tangible. Yeah, that yeah. you might be able to take to the marketplace or you might want to do just on the side. Yeah, you know, yeah. um, if you wanted to be a speaker, if you wanted to be something um, in the public domain, start privately, take it public and then work on it. Because mm -hmm. I, I do believe that all of us have something in us that 
is going to be our gift to the world. It's up to us to yeah, figure yeah. out what it is and get it out there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there's been no easier time than the present to get that word out there. You know, you can build a platform. All it takes is one of these, yeah, exactly. you know, a microphone, a camera, and a website. And yeah. you can you can say whatever you want, however you want to say it, yeah. and put it out into the world. Yeah. So obviously I'm asked to do that, give advice about that from a lot of people in broadcasting or speaking, what have you. And uh, so the fast forward winner, uh, just to make a very long answer to your question, is just sort of the outgrowth of all the questions that I was asked of, how do you do this? Yeah, no, that's a lot of wisdom right there. Um, and uh, it sounds like uh, it's making a huge impact to people who, who are following through with that. That's well, I hope so. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, um, you know, you started at a very early age and you, you, uh, it seems like you absolutely loved what you did. Even, even if you were not getting paid, I, I'm sure you would have done that. Did you ever strive to rise to this level of success and, and recognition or it happened organically because of your love for what you did? Yeah, I think it, it happened organically, but again, not to go over plowed ground, but the, the banishment of the doubt yeah, it yeah. just never entered my mind that I wouldn't do well. I you know, see. I mean, and that kind of sounds a little arrogant mm -hmm. to say, but I don't mean it that way. It was just I was lucky yeah. that I was encouraged by so many people that, OK, let me just learn technically how to do this mm -hmm. and then let me try it. I mean, I worked for five dollars a game. Yeah, until yeah. I was 25 years old. I mean, it's wow. not like it was a get rich quick scheme. Yeah, by yeah. Any means. Yeah, yeah. But you stick with it and you get a break and somebody believes in you and you, and you move up to the next thing. One of the things that happened to me was the timing of cable television, you know, yeah. in the late seventies, early eighties, it was just starting to take hold. And that's where regional sports started to boom. And all of a sudden, all these games are on TV, you know, and they needed announcers. Yeah. So the marketplace, you know, exponentially increased okay. because you just had to have so many people because these regional networks were programming sports 24 hours a day. You know, when ESPN broke through in 79, you know, everybody was saying sports on television 24 hours a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's going to watch that? Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> you see what happened. Exactly. And then the outgrowth of the regionals. Uh, so your local team, the Hawks, the Braves, and you know, uh, all had their own time on the network. So they needed announcers, and I started getting into TV on that end. That's great. That's awesome. Um, now you did mention that you know a lot of things are changing, and obviously in the last year we've had the massive change uh, compressed into a few weeks. Um, and you were sort of at the center of this because, you know, uh, sports arenas and sports activities have been affected. What do you see as a long term effect of, of uh, this event moving forward? How do you see are there going to be any, any, um, any you know, just like you were describing 24 hour news channel? Like, do you see the, uh, like major shifts happening in, in sports industry due to uh, what's happening? Yeah, I think two, and we're starting to see them already. I think I number one, from the way that we produce the games, technically, uh, the pandemic has sadly uh, driven this in-house. Mm -hmm. uh, when we go do an NBA road game, 
we take a producer, director, graphics person with us, but they found out that they can do that job from their home. Mm -hmm. So I doubt that those folks will ever travel again, at least at, at our regional level. Yeah. Okay. The announcers will always travel, I think, at least at the major league level. Now, colleges might be different uh, as a cost-saving measure. Mm -hmm. uh, that will will sure to change. But I think from the NBA standpoint, the announcers will always be on site because it's so difficult for us yeah, to yeah. call these games off of, off of screen. For sure, for sure. The other shift that's happening in our business is streaming. Uh, people now consume uh, almost as much television by watching their iPad or watching Roku or, you know, whatever the case may be, whatever the streaming device is, that is how they're consuming our product. And the days of uh, having a cable uh, as your only outside source for non-broadcast programming is a thing of the past. Now, sports is coming right along with that. And, and the big boys really don't care whether you stream it or watch it on cable or satellite TV because the way this thing is working, you've got to have some sort of cable account or you've got to pay for it a la carte. So they're still getting your money. Okay. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Yeah. You know, you might not pay paying a cable bill, but you're still paying when you lump them all together, you're still paying about the same amount of money to get the programming. You know, yeah. if you add up all the streaming services. Yeah. So that shift has taken place. You know, I see these, uh, these stories that come out that say, you know, the uh, college basketball or the college football playoff, you know, the viewership was down 40% on cable from the year previous year. That may well be true, but what they don't tell you is that more people watch the game because they're watching it on their phone. Yeah, yeah. They're watching it on their iPad. And when you combine the two, the number is the same, if not greater. If, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you, you can go international, we can watch it. Any, I mean, somebody yeah. some has proven that, you know, my exactly. games, my broadcast of the Hawks game last night was available in probably over 200 countries, wow. you know, with, with streaming and league pass and all that. So I, I chuckle when I hear <coughs> oh, you're, you just do a local broadcast. Okay. You know, it's going to 200 countries yeah, yeah. around the world. That's not hard, not a local yeah. broadcast, you know, yeah, exactly. every game that we do is a worldwide event. And the NBA is the leader in that uh, we've, t we are the envy of all the other sports because the baseball is pretty much just the United States and Canada, you know, a little bit in the Pacific rim, you know, Japan's big baseball, yeah, yeah. but worldwide, not so much. The NFL is just this country yeah, yeah, and yeah. Canada, uh, a little bit of Mexico, but, not a whole lot. It is just a North American phenomenon. Yeah. Nowhere else in the world do they play it. Do they really watch it? Yeah. Hockey. Yeah. A little more world base, but the NBA, everybody plays basketball. Yeah. <laughs> it is a worldwide game. Yeah. And so our platform reflects that, you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, have, yeah. I mean, uh, NBA. NBA players were in North uh, North Korea for all, all the places. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah. Players from around the world. Uh, yeah. They play in our league. It's great, and yeah. uh, and it is worldwide appeal. Second only to soccer yeah. in its international appeal. Yeah, amazing, amazing. Thank you so much. Um, well, this has been great. Uh, thank you so much for. Uh, oh, you you're know, welcome. Sharing your thoughts, pleasure. coming onto this podcast. Uh, I had so, so much fun. Learned a lot about a new industry. Now, before I let you go, can you tell us uh, if people want to get in touch with you? How can they reach out? Absolutely. Uh, from the business standpoint, I'm on LinkedIn. 
Bob Rathbun. You can find me anywhere. Uh, just my name, but I'm on the social media platforms. Uh, Twitter is Bob Rathbun TV. Same for Instagram. Um, those are the two main ones to reach me on. And then I'm also available uh, through my website at bobrathman.com if anybody would like to email me and get in touch that way. So uh, happy to hear from uh, fans everywhere, uh, business associates, any questions that you might have, happy to answer them. And I appreciate the opportunity. We'll uh, put those links in the show notes so that people can uh, reach out to you. Yes, please. please. Thank you so much. Thank you. You are welcome. And the best of luck. And the next time you find yourself in Atlanta, you have a standing inv- invitation to come to a Hawks game. Amazing. Wow. Okay. That's a, that's, you just made my uh, day. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. Hey, I'm Sarah, producer of the Bootstrapping Your Dreams Bootstrapping Show. Show. This episode has come to an end. Don't forget to check out the episode show notes for the links to the resources mentioned in this episode. Thanks for tuning in. Until the next episode, goodbye. Keep going and keep winning.